Our topic this week out of the book of Esther is from Esther chapter 7, Haman's Fall. The king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. Verse 1. This is the second dining with Queen Esther. Uh, it started, the second dinner started right after Haman had to be rushed to the dinner because he had just finished marching Mordecai around the city. Mordecai riding on the king's horse with the king's robe on and Haman going before him. This is what shall be done for the man that the king delights to honor because that's what Haman suggested to the king when he thought that's what the king wanted to do for him, not for Mordecai. And the reason that Haman was there was because Haman went to the king to ask for Mordecai's death. And uh, God twisted it and turned it upside down right there in a moment right before his eyes. And, and the reason that the king wanted to honor Mordecai was because that night he couldn't sleep. And so they were reading the Chronicles, and out of the years of Chronicles that they read, they happened upon the story where Mordecai saved the king's life from two murderers, assassins, and uh, several years before, some time before. And uh, the reason that Haman wanted to kill Mordecai was because Mordecai refused to bow down to Haman. And so that brings us to this point here, the second dinner, the second banquet, after Esther risked her life coming before the king to invite them to the first banquet, to spare, to ask for the sparing of the people because Haman wrote a death decree to kill all the Jews all throughout the kingdom from India all the way past Egypt, all the way to Ethiopia, covering Israel, covering Really, it would have been the annihilation of all the Jews. Every single Jewish person in the then known world would have been living, I think, in that, in that area, in one of, the, one of those 127 provinces, and there would have been no way for the Messiah to come. All the promises to Adam and Eve of the seed that would crush the serpent, the promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that through their seed the Messiah would come. The promises to David that through the seed of David, through the root of David, through the root of Jesse, that the Messiah would come. All of that would have been stopped. And so Esther, bravely going before the king, willing to perish, invites him to a banquet and then decides not to tell them that night at the first banquet, invites him to a second banquet, and that's where we pick up here in chapter 7 now. Now chapters 3 through 7, so 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 5 chapters, um, all take place within about a week's time. You have the first banquet and the second banquet. You have the three days of fasting and praying and the first banquet and the third day of praying might, might have overlapped. And then uh, you have a couple days of Mordecai appealing to Esther to go in before the king. And from when Mordecai found out about the death decree, so maybe a week or so time in those five chapters. Now, the first three chapters, one, two, and part of three, so three overlapping both ways, uh, took like 13 years of time. So we go three chapters of 13 years, two and a half chapters, 13 years, and then four and a half chapters, all within a week's period of time, all condensed and coming to a head right here in chapter seven. So the second banquet. Then on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? 
it shall be granted you. And what is your request? Up to half the kingdom, it shall be done. This is what Esther was waiting on. This is what she wanted. This is exactly what the king said the day before. This is exactly what the king said the day before in the morning when she came before the king. This is the third time he's saying it. Once on his throne, once at a banquet, the first banquet, and now again at the second banquet. And in just reading it, it just says basically the same words. But I believe there was a difference in his tone of voice. Maybe the first time, what are you doing here? You're, you're interrupting my meeting and my discussion and my readings and, and the interviews that I have and my whole schedule lined up. I'm sitting on my throne. I've got my whole cabinet here. What do you want? Why are you bothering us? <laughs> I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What do you want? Get it over with quick. I got a busy schedule here. What do you want? And then invites him to the banquet, different setting, a little more casual. Okay, so what's on your mind? What did you risk your life about? What did you want me to tell me here at the dinner? And she said, still not really wanting to know, just wanting to find out and find out from her and meet her need and go on with his life. But here then, after not being able to sleep all night, waiting again another, till another banquet, this time, I'd imagine he was saying it with more earnestness, saying it with an interest for himself, a curiosity for himself. What are you wanting from me? How can I help you? What is on your mind that you risked your life? What is on your mind that is so desperate that you invited me to two dinners? And what on earth is Haman doing here? <laughs> it's obviously not just a romantic time that you want to have a romantic dinner together. Why is he here? What is this all about? He's curious. She's, she's caught his curiosity. And that's what she was waiting on and wanting. And that's where he needed to be. If she would have just blurted it out at the first day, probably would not have even gotten an ear. He'd have to, the king would have to decide between Esther, his queen of five years or so at that point, who he hadn't seen in 30 days, disposable, and his second in command, whom he appointed, who he listens to, who he gave his trust and his signature ring to. That'd be a hard sell in front of all the other princes and ministers. And even at the first banquet, he had not yet rebonded with Esther. And so she waits and plots her time and is interceding. I like the Messiah coming before the king and here she is interceding in behalf of the people. And so foreshadowing the Messiah, interceding for us, pleading our cause before the king. And Yeshua continually pleads our cause before the king. Never sleeps day or night, neither sleeps nor slumbers. He is always there, always there, pleading his blood in our behalf, pleading his death and resurrection in our behalf, pleading his righteousness, his righteous life, his victory over the devil in our behalf. Not because of our goodness, not because of anything we have done, but because of what he has done in our behalf. Someone is always praying for you. Always. 
praying for you. You're never praying alone. All your prayers are being matched up with his prayers and coming before his throne. Even when you're asleep and busy and at work and have your mind on other things, he hasn't forgotten your need. He hasn't forgotten your problem. He hasn't forgotten your difficulty. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't forgotten your future. He is pleading your cause before the Father. And here is Esther pleading the people's cause before the king. And so he asks, what do you want up to half the kingdom? Co-heir with me. And so Esther says, then Queen Esther answered and said, if I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, the same thing she's been saying <laughs> three different times now, and she adds, let my life be given me at my petition. He's probably thinking, what on earth are you talking about? And my people at my request. For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, to be annihilated. Probably dropped his goblet. What on earth? What's going on here? I thought you just came for a little dinner here. I thought you had something important, you know, that maybe you're going to tell me you're having a baby. What, what, you know, maybe something's going on. This is an important meeting that you wanted to have, you wanted to discuss. You needed something else. You, you know, you had some relatives that wanted to go on a trip. You need some more gold. You need some more silver. Something's going on in your life. Uh, you need to get your hair done. You know, something. What's this what is it, curiosity trying to guess what it is? And, and she starts off, let my life be given to me. That pleases the king. You want your freedom? Is that what you want? You want to be released from being the queen? You want your life back? You want to go back with your family? Is that what you're asking me? And then she continues, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed? To be killed? To be annihilated? What's the difference between those three? I mean, it's like saying the same thing three different times. You know, if you destroyed someone, then you killed them, and then on top of killing them and destroying them, you annihilated them. That's pretty bad. And that's exactly what Haman wanted to do. He didn't want to just kill Mordecai. He didn't want to just destroy our influence. He wanted to annihilate 100% men, women, and children for all generations. There have been very few people in this world that there's been an attempt to totally annihilate the whole people group, to totally wipe them out, and of those few times, <laughs> the Jews have been prominent in those cases. And this is one of it, one of them. And again, he must be in shock, absolute shock. Who would want to kill the queen? Who's bothering the queen? Who's she bothering? She sits in the palace all the time. Mine must be spinning. And she continues and says, we, had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. Because I say, if, if we were just sold as slaves, I wouldn't have said anything. Be okay, we put up with that. We put up with that for a number of years in Babylon. We put up with that for hundreds of years in, in Egypt. We're used to it. That's not a problem. That's not an issue. The problem is, is that we've been decreed to be annihilated, to be destroyed, all of us, 
to be killed. There's lots of groups that want to jump onto the bandwagon of oppressed people groups. And they try and equate their suffering, and their suffering is real. There's a lot of horrible suffering going on with a lot of people groups in this world, have been since the beginning of time, almost. And they have real grievances, and they have real rights. But when they try to equate it to the Purim story, or to the Holocaust, or to Hanukkah, they're totally off base. It's not equivalent at all. It's a misusing and a bringing down of these occasions. Again, most other groups haven't been totally a, a total annihilation. They've been oppressed in slavery. Esther says, that's not a problem. That's not a big deal. That I won't even talk to you about. That I wouldn't have risked my life to come and talk, tell you about. That I wouldn't have invited you to the banquet to even tell you. But this was a real attempt. And had, there was really nothing there to stop Haman. Nothing. And his authority and his power, if God had not miraculously put the queen there for such a time as that. Absolutely amazing. And she was queen for five years. We don't know why you're in your job and you're at school, in that neighborhood, in that complex, among those people, in your situation, why you've suffered this, why you've suffered that, why the situations have happened in your life. God knows. And God has a purpose and a plan and he's working all of that out to bring you to what he has planned for today and what he has planned for tomorrow. And we may not see the results here on this earth, but he has called you for such a time as this. It might be to pray for somebody. It might be to witness to somebody. It might be to share a track with someone. It might be to drive down the street with your bumper sticker, sending them to a godly webpage or something or, or a message. And you may never even meet that person here on this earth. But God has called each of us to a purpose and a plan. We may not see the results in their life here. We might. But he has called us to be lights for him. He called Esther to shine at this moment in time and to intercede in our behalf and to witness for us. Now this whole chapter and the whole book is, is a real historical story, but it's also a prophetic picture of last day events. There will be an attempt to annihilate, to destroy, and to kill all of the people of God. Satan goes around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is wroth with the woman, God's people, and goes to make war with the remnant of her seed. To destroy, to kill, and to annihilate. And just as miraculously as God steps in here, and God wants to use us, Yeshua said, fear not. You will speak before judges, you will speak before courts, and I will give you what to say. Well, why do you have to speak before a court? What was Yeshua prophesying there? He's prophesying a time where we will be persecuted and we will need to stand for our faith. We will need to stand for the word of God. We will need to stand for the Messiah. We will need to stand for the law of God. 
We will need to stand for why we do what we do, why we won't bow down, why we won't yield, why we won't go along with the rest of the world as they try to disregard God's word and his law and change it and substitute it and try to get us to disobey as they tried to get Mordecai to disobey. We'll have an opportunity to share. Whether they listen or not, that's up to them. But a time is coming when we will stand. And it's what we're doing now, what we're doing in our lives now. It's the praying and the reading of God's word and the repenting of sins and the putting away of sins and allowing God to change our hearts and change our character that prepares us for that time. You can't wake up that morning and just think you're going to be able to go and speak before, for God and have the courage to do so if God hasn't been leading and working and preparing and getting us ready for that time and for that day. And it might not be before a big courtroom. It might be before a boss. It might be before the, the H&R department at work. It might be before a, a co-worker. It might be before a neighbor. It might be before our children or our parents or our siblings where God will call us and the door will open for us to speak. It might be on a bus or on a train or on a plane and we won't even be expecting it and the person will ask the question and we need to be ready in season, out of season to stand up and to speak up in defense of our faith. As Mordecai did, as Esther did, called for such a time as these last days. And Satan's <laughs> battle and war at the end is not to just enslave us, he's already got the world enslaved, it's to make war to kill, to destroy, to annihilate. But God steps in. King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? She got his attention. <laughs> Took him a, a minute, she was able to add in about that slaver, a slavery sold into slavery part, as it's just trying to wrap his mind around it. And then he blurts out, who would dare do such a thing? She got his anger. She stirred him up, and that's exactly what needed to happen. He might not have reacted the same way the first day before the throne room. Ah, you're just imagining it. Go back to your palace. You'll be all right. You'll be fine. Everything's okay. Look, we got all these guards here. Everything's going to be all right. God's timing and the preparation, the three days of fasting and prayer, set the stage for all these events, rapid pace to take place. King not being able to sleep, being able to go before the king, be accepted, the right chronicle read, the right time, Mordecai's name coming up, Mordecai being honored, Haman stepping in just at that point in time, and marched around. Everything and much more, the timing was perfect. God is perfect. God knows neither haste nor delay, but everything in his timing. The last moment he steps in, 
and everything can happen very quickly. And Esther didn't even know any, hardly any of that stuff, if any of that stuff going on. She didn't even necessarily know that Mordecai got paraded around. She didn't necessarily know the king didn't sleep that night before. She didn't necessarily know what Haman did to create. She might not have even known about the, the gallows set up to kill Mordecai on. Mordecai might not have known about a lot of that. Might not have known what was happening in the banquet. But God knew. And God was setting the stage. And God is working behind the scenes. We don't know what God is doing in so-and-so's life. We don't know how he's setting things up. You may think they don't care. They haven't talked to me in 30 days. God is working on their hearts and minds. And then all of a sudden they ask you the right question. Or the right circumstance opens up for you to say the right word. And to be ready and prepared. God is at work in this world. Sometimes it's hard to see. Haman's building his gallows. It looks horrible. It looks... We walk by the poster on the wall. Death to the Jews, 11 months from now. Looks fatal. But God is at work. God is alive. And he's working behind the scenes in people's hearts and minds, whether we see it or not. We walk by faith, not by sight. Don't give up on anyone. God can still save anyone. Don't give up on God working his deliverance in your life. Don't give up hope. Don't give up trusting. Hold on to faith and let your faith be built up. Time and time and time again, God has worked. And this story is a great reminder of it. Esther said, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman. The time was right. And she, the king gave the right response, so she was ready to reveal it. She wasted no time, went right for it. This wicked Haman. Called sin by its right name. We need to be able to call sin by its right name in our own lives and in this world and reveal it and expose it and condemn it. The adversary, Satan himself, is working behind the scenes. Haman was terrified before the king and the queen. He put the puzzle together real quick. He saw what was happening. After the troublesome day, his wife saying, uh-oh, if you have fallen before Mordecai and he's a Jew, your fall is coming. He might have been lifted up for a little bit. Oh, I forgot, the queen invited me over. I'm going to be with the king again. And then it all comes crashing down before him. Satan's fall will be quick and rapid. And we'll be shocked to see it. The attempts to destroy and annihilate us will be powerful, but God is more powerful, and God will bring them down swiftly. The king arose in his wrath from the banquet of wine and went into the palace garden, but Haman stood before, the queen, before Queen Esther, pleading for his life, for he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. The king, in his rage, he walks out of the room, leaves his queen, his wife, with the one who she's saying is friending me. I need witness protection here. I need, I need a restraining order. This guy wants to kill me, and he walks out of the room. 
Again, because it's so, his decision here, and we've seen over and over again, he asks his advisors for decisions, to make decisions. Throughout the book, that's what he does. He asks his advisors to help him. He has no one to ask now. His advisor is being accused. So he has to make the decision himself. And he doesn't know who to side with. Do I believe Esther? This woman? Lower on the respect pole? This queen? Who lives in another palace? I haven't seen in 30 days, it's not that important, who's disposable, or my right-hand man, my prime minister. Who am I going to believe? And he's pushed to make a decision. He's pushed to take a side. And he's torn because of the prayer, because of the first banquet, the bond taking place again, before it's the second banquet, the bond being even strengthened. And he doesn't know what to do, so he leaves the room. They're going to get his thoughts together. And he makes his decision and comes back to the room. And when the king returned from the palace, we don't know what he was going to decide, from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. Now, she might have been giving him lots of drink, <laughs> you know. <laughs> she was holding the banquet. Haman had a bad day, horrible day, humiliated, marching Mordecai around. He might have been happy to just guggle him down. Just as good, try and forget that day. Try and forget what his wife said. You're going to fall. He might have just been drinking away. And here he sees the king is upset and angry. Esther's accusing him of treason and murder attempted murder, and he's pleading with her, possibly in his drunken state or just emotional state, he falls over on the couch onto her. And God uses that as well. Because again, we're not sure what the king was going to decide. But when he comes in and he sees that, the king said, will he also assault the queen while I am in the house? And as the word left the king's mouth, they covered Haman's face. And Haman falls. Arbona, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, Look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, I think that's 75 feet, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of of Haman. Must be visible throughout the whole city. 75 feet, done on purpose. Everybody, you don't need 75 feet to kill somebody. But so that everybody sees what Haman did to this Jew. The king can see it out the window from his palace. He just walked out in the palace garden. He probably could see it. And Arbono speaks up. Well, how long has he known this? <laughs> What's he waiting for? Why didn't he speak up earlier? But at least he finally speaks up, testifying. The Mordecai, the one who saved your life, Haman wanted to kill him. Could have saved everybody a lot of time if he would have told us that, told the king that at the beginning of the day. But some people are slow to act. And so he jumps in. 
And the king said, hang him on it. Let him be the first one to test it. Let's see if it really works. Hang him on it. Proverbs, whoever digs a pit will fall into it. The plots and the plans that Satan is devising against us, he will fall into his own pit. Those who plot and devise evil against you will fall into their own pit. God forbid that we are holding on to anger or bitterness or wrath against anyone in our heart and our life, wishing them evil, desiring them evil, rejoicing at their calamities, because the pit we think in our mind, we will fall into it as well. And so Proverbs comes to pass right here before our eyes in the book of Esther with Haman. In Proverbs 21.12, the righteous one, the Lord God Almighty, the one, the one and the only, the righteous one, who sits above it all, who sees it all, the righteous one takes note of the house of the wicked and brings the wicked to ruin. Not always as quick as we see here in this book. Not always within a week's time. Not always overnight in that one day. Sometimes it takes 400 years in Egypt. Sometimes it takes 20 or so years for Joseph in, the, in prison in slavery, but God will bring it to pass. He will open the sea for us, work his deliverance for us if we trust in him. We have the blood of the Messiah over our doorpost and ready with our staff in our hands and our sandals on, ready and eager to do the Lord's bidding and to move at his command. He will open the sea for us and deliver us, and he will close it in on the ones who seek our destruction. But God's pretty good at waiting till the last minute. Kind of like the old TV shows, they, the bad guy takes the good guy and puts him on this conveyor belt, and the conveyor belt takes him over to the saw, and the, the saw is going to cut him in half. You know, why don't you just throw him into the thing to begin with, you know, or, or just shoot him or whatever. No, they got to... Wait until you get slowly conveyor belt over to it, and the, the bad guy leaves. And of course, at the last minute, the last second, it's about to cut his hair. He loses a few hairs, just about to cut his scalp, and then deliverance comes. God will step in. Hold on to faith. Faith has to wait. Faith is tested by waiting to the end. God will come through. Endure to the end. The patient endurance on the part of the saints. Waiting upon the Lord. He will bring it to pass. Wickedness will grow. All the world will wander after the beast. It will seem like every single person in the world. Yeshua said our parents and our children and our siblings will come against us. It'll seem like everybody. But God is on our side. Yeshua is pleading our cause before the Father's throne. His eyes are upon the sparrow. 
He is watching over the wicked, the house of the wicked, and he's watching over the house of the righteous. And he will bring them to ruin. He will stop it at the last moment. His deliverance will come. Wait for it. Wait for it. So they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai, and then the king's wrath subsided. That's the end of the chapter, but not the end of the book. There's more to come. But this is a judgment that takes place, an initial judgment that takes place. Again, Esther foreshadows last days. There will be an initial judgment upon the wicked, and then there will be a final judgment upon the wicked. We won't get into it all here. Covered it in other sermons in the past and maybe a little bit more as we get into these last chapters. But there is, there will be these two judgment times upon the wicked and the book of Esther here demonstrates it and shows it to us. The initial problem is averted. Mordecai dying that day. Haman dies that day instead. And then we'll see that final judgment 11 months later where the Jews were to die, God steps in again. And same in the last days. There'll be an initial judgment upon the wicked and then a final judgment upon the wicked as well. And so as we prepare to pray, Chivalry applies to you. Find comfort in knowing that Yeshua is standing there before the right hand of the Father, pleading your cause and pleading in your behalf, and you want to join him in prayer for your loved ones, for, for the world, for the lost, in a moment when we pray, join with him in prayer. And if you're needing him to pray for you, he's praying for you, and if you want to thank him, secondarily, if, second, if you want to thank him for praying for you right now, praying for you last night while you were asleep, praying for you when you didn't know him, praying for you when you were in your deepest trouble. He's there before, interceding in your behalf. In a moment when we pray, you can thank him for that. Third, as always, if there's some sin in our life, we don't want to be on the side of the wicked. If you're plotting or desiring or hoping for calamity upon someone, digging a pit for them in your mind or in your heart or with your physically, Surrender that to the Lord. Give that over to him. Let there be no sin on our record that would put us on the side of the wicked. If your faith has been tried and weak and shaky, you need to have your faith strengthened, confess unbelief, confess doubt, give it over to the Lord, receive hope, receive his extra measure of faith, receive trust from his throne, Receive the mind of Yeshua and the very faith of Yeshua and accept it by faith. Accept it. Choose to accept it by choice. Believe in him. Third, if you're under persecution right now, if someone's threatening you, suing you, rejecting you, harassing you, causing you troubles, causing you difficulties, whether Satan spiritually or someone physically or mentally or emotionally, someone who's alive or maybe someone who's dead but still tormenting you in your mind, 
past memories, past dreams, still tormenting you, surrender them over to the Lord. Give it over to the Lord. Receive his forgiveness, receive his cleansing, trust in his power, trust in his deliverance to deliver your mind, heart, body, soul, and spirit and for him to work in your life, to give you a new mind, to give you a new heart, to give you a new life, to give you hope, to give you plans, to give you a future in him, to give you everlasting life in him. Let God step in. Vengeance is his. Surrender those people to the Lord and let God step in and do his mighty work allowing them to fall into their own pit for God's deliverance to take place in your life. If any of those areas apply to you or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let us pray together and let God do his work. Our Lord and God, ruler of the universe, over it all, over everything, beyond our mind comprehension, Thank you for also being ruler of this tiny little earth and our lives. Thank you for seeing us. Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for being almighty and all-powerful. Thank you for seeing the plans of the wicked and being before them. Thank you for seeing us and our need. Thank you, Yeshua, for pleading, pleading our cause and pleading your blood in our behalf. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for the gift of conviction. Give us a heart that prays and prays earnestly and ceases not continually. Strengthen our faith. Add to our faith the measure that you've already given to us. Grow us in your faith. Use us to intercede for others. Use us to stand in your gap. Use us in exposing wickedness and evil. Use us in remaining faithful to you. Thank you for calling us for such a time to allow us to live in these very last days. Give us the endurance to see us through to the end. Through your Holy Spirit, in Yeshua's holy name, amen.